In this episode of 2000 Books, Premier Performance Coach Dr. Jason Salk teaches a very powerful technique that can help you handle the most challenging situations in life. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. While serving as the director of mental training for the St. Louis Cardinals, Dr. Jason Selk helped the team win their first World Series in over 20 years. And in 2011, he assisted the Cardinals in the historic feat of winning their second World Championship in a six-year period. Dr. Selk is considered to be one of the premier performance coaches in the U.S., He helps numerous well-known professional and Olympic athletes as well as Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 executives and organizations develop the mental toughness necessary for high-level success. Today, we're talking about his outstanding book, Executive Toughness, which is all about developing mental toughness. Jason, I'm really excited to have you on the show, so welcome. Thanks, Manny. I'm I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you. Uh, Let's get started and let's talk about your business story and what led you to writing this book. So when I first started my career back in late 1990s, I really had no anticipation that I was going to end up working with people in corporate America and outside of sports. The first really 10 years or so of my life, it was all about working with athletes and coaches. I had a lot of success with the St. Louis Cardinals. And the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm not sure if people know this or not, but they're owned by a number of very successful businessmen. And in the first year, 2006, I work with the Cardinals. They win their first World Series in a 24-year period of time. And I think what happened was some of the owners of the team had other friends who were business owners, very successful business owners. And they started asking ownership of the St. Louis Cardinals if I would be willing to do for their teams what I had done for the St. Louis Cardinals. And so it really started my work in the business world as somewhat of a favor to some of the owners of the St. Louis Cardinals. And what happened, I remember one of my very first jobs was with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And they asked me to do a day or two long seminar with some of their top people in leadership. And I realized as I was going through the two-day program that there were many, many similarities between people in the corporate world, people in the business world trying to perform at a high level, and the professional athletes that I was working with. However, there were some differences. And it really was an eye-opening experience that I realized I wasn't as prepared as I wanted to be if I was going to work in that domain, in the business domain, if you will. And so I, I set out and probably put 12 to 18 months of really good homework and research, really trying to identify what specifically are the differences if you're going to have someone prepared in the corporate or business arena as opposed to with the athletes that I felt very comfortable working with. And again, there weren't as many differences as similarities, but there were some differences. And and that's what led me to write Executive Toughness. In the end, I thought, okay, uh, if I'm going to go do more and more work in the business world, which I enjoyed every bit as much as working with the athletes, I wanted to be absolutely, totally prepared. And executive toughness was really the result of 
the homework and the research in the business world combined with what I had already learned about top performers in the sports world. So I really wanted to put the new program on paper so that the differences were pretty clear to people who were for the first time learning about my work. Well, well, that's a great story, Jason. But before that story, I, I know you're being very humble, but you had some success with the Cardinals. What was that success? Tell us about that. Well, and again, I, I was really lucky. The St. Louis Cardinals were already highly, highly successful before uh, they ever brought me in to help with anything. They were already the second winningest team in the history of Major League Baseball. And, and the culture the leadership, it's really already intact with the St. Louis Cardinals. So they bring me, they bring me in in 2006, and I, I worked with the team for six years. And the first year I was there, I was lucky enough to be part of a World Series championship. And then my last year, 2011, I was also lucky enough to be part of another World Series championship. And I stepped down after the 2011 World Series victory to pursue some other opportunities. But my time with the Cardinals, what it allowed me to do was, again, study what highly successful people, highly successful organizations do. And and there were a number of patterns, a number of things I learned. I feel like I learned a whole lot more from the St. Louis Cardinals than they learned from me. So, you know, again, I've got this great job where I get to spend all this time with some of the most successful, mentally tough individuals and organizations walk on the planet. And I'm always looking for those patterns. And my time with the St. Louis Cardinals was just a wonderful opportunity for me to pick up on what organizations in Major League Baseball, really successful ones, do to become so successful. So you've been dealing with like some of the premier performers in this world, some of the greatest, like some of the very best in this world when it comes to performing at their very best, uh, when it comes to peak performance. And you picked a topic that's that's like, it's called toughness, mental toughness. And now, well, a lot of people would argue that there are so many other things that might be important. But I agree with you that toughness is probably one of the most fundamental skills we can develop as a human being. Talk to us about it. Why toughness? Why was toughness the thing that you were after? Yeah, you know, I think it really fit with my educational background. When I was finishing school, my degree, I'm a mental health professional and I specialize in sports psychology and in psychology just in general, performance psychology. So I was really trying to figure out when I finished school, when I finished my education, what is it now that I'm actually able to help people with? And I really, the the first words that came to my mind were mental toughness. And, and frankly, I didn't know back then what it meant. I can remember thinking, okay, well, okay, mental toughness, but what really does it mean? And I started thinking, well, I don't know for sure what mental toughness is. What's physical toughness? And, I, and I, my mind immediately jumped to how an individual can work with a trainer or a coach and develop their muscles. They can become stronger, faster, bigger, uh, where if they're you know, going head-to-head with an opponent, they can dominate the opponent physically. And I thought, okay, how about taking that trainer, that coaching mentality, and applying it to developing the brain, the muscle of the brain, which, you know, most people don't understand this or, or at least think of it this way. The brain is a muscle just like the bicep. Mm-hmm. It, it is exactly like that in that if you train it with the right exercises, you cannot help but make it become stronger. Yeah. And so as I was thinking about the mental toughness, I really felt I was in a, a great position having just gone through, you know, 20 years of 
schooling. And a lot of that focused primarily on how the brain, the muscle of the brain operates. I felt like I was in a really good position to identify how, specifically how we can train the brain to become more focused, more confident, so that a person can improve or be more in control of their, their performance. Yeah. And that's really where the whole mental toughness idea came from for me. Yeah, and, and, and the fascinating thing that we, we just barely touched on is that in this society, we somehow, we, we believe that in order to develop our body, in order to develop our fitness, we need to work out our muscles. We need to go and work out. We need to exercise every day in order to have a fit body. But for some reason, for some strange reason, the same philosophy, we, we don't apply that to our minds. We don't apply that to building our minds, building our most important, most vital organ. Somehow we believe that it will just happen by chance. And uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, it's an, it's an excellent point. And I, I think what it is, is it's just really, for most people, a lack of understanding. Most people do not understand the brain is a muscle and it requires training. Remember, Manny, it's totally normal. If, if a person is born, we are as most people know, a species of path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And what that means is we're, we're lazy by nature. Okay, So if we do what's totally normal, our muscles will never become strong. We'll never develop. We'll just lay on the couch and watch TV. And, and if somebody would serve us and take care of us, that really would be how a normal person would operate. We would never develop the, the strength physically. Same is true mentally that it's totally normal to be mentally weak. You have to do abnormal things if you want to be physically strong. You have to do abnormal things if you want to be mentally tough. And, and the thing is, most people miss this, there is really, these days, we, we've identified pretty specific levels of training that don't overwhelm people. I mean, in, in my first book, 10-Minute Toughness, and I think it was really the first book of its kind, I think that's why it, has done so well, it really says and shows people in 10 minutes or less how you can on a daily basis train that muscle, the brain, as you said, one of the most important organs and uh, muscles in the body, I'd, I'd compare it with the heart in terms of muscles being most important, we, we can show people how within a very short amount of time you can literally train your brain so that you cannot help but be more mentally focused, more mentally sharp, more mentally tough than the normal people out there. But it all boils down to training. And again, I think just the biggest issue is people have a lack of understanding that training is required. It's necessary. Yep. Yep. Training, constant, never-ending training is required for us to build this toughness, this skill. So, and let's, let's delve deeper into it. I think you talk about the foundation and you say it's like your self-image is almost the thermostat of our lives. And the fact that that is what defines our upper limits and lower limits of success in many ways. Um, tell, us, tell us more about that part. Yeah, and that, that fundamentally comes from the research done by a fellow by the name of Maxwell Maltz. Mm -hmm. Maltz wrote the groundbreaking book back in 1960, Psycho-Cybernetics. He identifies for the first time the concept self-image. And self-image is, for all intents and purposes, self-confidence. And what Maltz identifies is a person will not outperform, nor will they underperform their self-image for long. Mm. He also identifies that self-image is, 
is determined by what a person says to themselves, how we talk to ourselves consistently over time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, most people talk to themselves consistently about themselves in a very negative manner, which means that most people have a self-image, have self-confidence much lower than where it should be. Now, the great thing about self-image, Maltz found this with research, it's not necessarily determined by reality. It's much more determined by desire. So it's not so much really where should your self-image be. It's a whole lot more where do you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Decide who you want to be and then start talking to yourself that way so that you create a self-image where you're going to perform at that level. And I, I know when I first started researching and learning about Maltz and his research, I spent a year trying to disprove it. It seemed too loosey-goosey to me. But I tell you, I was a real fool. If anything, Maltz's research is understated. You know, and again, the key is you got to start identifying how you talk to yourself about yourself. And then the rule is figure out who you want to be, how you want to be. And instead of letting that negative, normal self-talk go on, Change it. Replace it with start talking to yourself about how and who you want to be. Create who you want to be. Construct the person you want to become. And it all starts with the mental toughness to control your thoughts, to start talking to yourself in a positive way about yourself instead of what's totally normal, a negative way. Yeah, we're we we are creating ourselves rather than assuming that we are almost uh, we are the mercy of this world or the way the world works, and we are who we are, and we cannot change that. And of course, Maxwell Maltz and Joseph Murphy's book, "The Power of Your Subconscious Mind," Napoleon Hill's "Think and Grow Rich," um, "As a Man Think It" by um, James Allen. All of these books kind of point us in the direction that we can construct ourselves rather than be limited by the way we think we are right now. You're exactly right. And, and those books have been very influential, obviously, on the writing of executive toughness. And that's one of the things I really like about executive toughness is right off the bat, the first two chapters, it forces you to identify what's important to you. What do you really want? And then what we do, once we can identify really what we want in terms of how do we want to be, who do we want to be, how do we want our lives to be? Then what we do is we apply those performance psychology principles, those sports psychology principles. We put them into a very ritualized program that if you follow, you will start to create on a daily basis those things, that reality in your life. But it starts, Manny, just as you said, fundamentally with you must be clear. You must start to take inventory of how you're thinking to yourself, and know that there's a high likelihood it needs to change. If you're unhappy, it starts with the thoughts in your head. Determine who, how you want to be, and that's where it starts with those thoughts. We change those thoughts. Yeah, so so you're in the book, you're starting with who do you want to be, where do you want to go, 
And then now let's go about changing that whole structure, changing the thoughts to get us there. And one of the fundamental keys there is accountability. And in that process, you talk about, or in that in that whole idea, one of the things that really struck out to me was, or the, the thing that really spoke to me was the difference between product goals and process goals. In business world, in my world, we talk about lead indicators versus lag indicators in many ways. I think we're talking about the same thing here. Exactly the same thing. And I think um, lead and lag come from Stephen and Sean Covey. Uh, Stephen Covey was a major influence on my work. And uh, again, I, I uh, am a big believer in the words product process. Uh, product are the result goals process of the what it takes to get there. And I tell you, let, let me tell you a quick story. I had a client I was working with. He's a business owner, very, very successful business owner. And he said, I got to tell you a personal story. He said, I was listening to my wife. Our child just started school, as, as you know, many kids across the country have just started school back. So my wife was walking through with our third grader goals, academic goals for the year. And he said, I sat back and I listened, and I, I really did a good job of sitting back and listening. And it struck me that we teach goals, even to our children, all wrong. So my wife talked for 15 minutes about goals, but didn't mention even once a process goal, the activities necessary. It was all focused on what does the GPA need to look like, how many A's, how many B's, and so forth. And she never once talked about things like really what we should focus on is how many minutes a day do we need to study? What does our class attendance need to look like? Uh, how many times a month should we ask the teacher how well we're doing and one thing we can improve? You know, there, there was no discussion of process goals. And again, I think it's one of those things in our society. I'm not sure why, but even in the personal level, we are still so behind with goal setting. We still focus so much on results and miss the truly important stuff, which the process, those activities that cause the process goals. And I'll tell you this, the sports world is light years ahead of the business world and the personal lives in terms of understanding the importance of process. You just saw the Olympic Games, and I can't tell you how many athletes were interviewed that were talking about process. If you look at the greatest coaches in the sports world, whether it be the Nick Sabans or the Urban Myers or the Mike Krzyzewskis, those coaches talk process all the time. But again, you go to the business world, and it's all about earnings. It's all about results, results, results. And again, I'm not saying results aren't important. Let's be clear. In the, in the words of John Wooden, winning is important. Mm -hmm. However, the number one way to control the results, this is science. It's totally proven at this point, is to take a greater focus, a greater emphasis on the activities that cause, the preparation, the activities that cause the results. Yeah, this is so, so important. For some reason in our society, we, we miss that conversation altogether where we're hyper-focused on the end results and not on the process. And a lot of your philosophy has been influenced by John Wooden's, from what I understand, um, Coach Wooden. And, uh, you know, even in the business world, uh, Jeff Bezos has been talking about this for a while, the fact that he's not interested in investors who are just looking for um, results this quarter or next quarter or that next quarter. He says, those are not results that I can control. I will just, I want to work on things that I can directly influence and control and let those outcomes happen as they may. And of course, today we know Jeff Bezos' Amazon is one of the biggest companies in the world. 
Well, and, and you see it with the most successful people out there, even in the business world. The most successful people in the business world are on the front side of this process mentality. And, and I, I really believe, Manny, that the paradigm shift is coming. I feel like in the sports world, it's, it's very saturated right now with a process mentality. I think it's happening in the business world, and I think it will happen in our personal lives. But, you know, the, the idea of setting process goals in your personal life is still extremely foreign. Yeah. It's almost like, like, a, like a different language. To give you an example, you know, I'll get people all the time that say, well, I'm not doing so well at work because I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm not happy at home, and that's causing all kinds of problems. I'm distracted. I'm losing focus at work. So, so let's set some process goals in your personal life. And they'll look at me again like I'm speaking a foreign language. An example of a process goal in your marriage might be, I'm going to have date night once a week with my spouse. Mm-hmm. I'm going to three days a week be home by 530. I'm going to, every time I get home, spend five minutes with my spouse. I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to put my computer away. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to give him or her five minutes of my attention. You know, just simple fundamental things that if you do on a consistent basis will start to lead to the results you're looking for. But again, it it just, we're not there yet. But I do believe we're getting much, much closer. Again, I think the sports world really has has a, a high level of understanding of this at this point. I think the business world, it's starting. You know, hopefully it'll it'll move into the personal life as well. But uh, I don't think there's any doubt about if you do this, you will like the results you get. Yeah. I mean, as entrepreneurs, uh, as the listeners of the show, we really need to understand that we can set our quarterly goals, but we really need to drill down and we need to identify, okay, what are the specific things I will do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis? Only if I do those can I really measure myself and know if I'm doing the right things or wrong things, if my strategy is right or wrong? Otherwise, we're just, we don't even know why we're failing. Yeah, so let me say this, because I, I want to give some clarity to listeners out there. Number one, result goals, yes, are necessary. So, so those product goals, you do need to set your, whether it be quarterly or yearly goals, you, you have to have that result number you're going after. Otherwise, it's very difficult to come up with the actual process that will cause it to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes, spend time and identify. I like just the one most important result-oriented goal that you can achieve in the upcoming 12 months if it's business in your business life. Okay, and then from there, process goals are your two or three at most mm most important activities daily, weekly, monthly that must occur if you're going to position yourself to achieve the results you're going after. I think what what people sometimes struggle with with process goals, they set 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 process goals and it's just too much. So remember, your process goals are your two or three and even if you just wanted to go with your top one, I think that'd be a heck of a lot more than overdoing it. But just always know what are your at most three most important activities that will cause the results you're looking for in terms of the product goal? Yeah, what I like to refer to as MVA's most valuable activities that will get us to the end goal. And not only do we need to have those MVA, MVAs, but we need to actually put them in our calendar. We need to have them logged and loaded so that we do them consistently. Absolutely. And I think, and I wrote about this in the latest book, I believe prioritizing 
is the single most underrated skill of the highly successful. Mm-hmm. And I tell you this, identifying those most important activities is step one of prioritizing. Step two is just as you said, you must put it in the calendar. And I'm a big believer in win the day early, meaning highly successful people know that as the day wears on, you have more distractions, you have less energy and discipline. So putting those most important activities later in the day is typically a recipe for disaster. Now, sometimes because of the nature of the process school itself, it has to be done later. And that's a different story. But if you get to choose when you do it, do it early. Do it first. Get into the office and get your three most, your two most, your one most important done first thing so that it doesn't end up getting put off because oftentimes people go in with the greatest intentions. But And, and this is a quote by Stephen Covey, the noise of the urgent creates the illusion of importance. Mm. You got all that other stuff that starts showing up and it convinces you that you should push your most important activities off. Then maybe you get a free moment. It's 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You're kind of tired and you kind of think, well, I don't think I have the energy to do the important stuff. I'll do it tomorrow. And that's a total loss. Remember, the highly successful, they never get it all done in any one given day, but they always, this is what they're really good at, they always get the most important things done each and every day. And I think one of the best help tools there is that idea of win the day early. Get it done. Get your most important, your most valuable activities done first. This is great. This is great. Now let's let's talk about another really key idea here in the book. You talk about under the idea of focus. It's the ideal arousal state. Now let's 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 unpack it for our listeners because they might be confused with a lot of different things here. What what is the ideal arousal state that we need to be in in order to perform at our very best? So the ideal arousal state, it's really important in athletics. In fact, I'd say it's probably the most important concept in terms of an athlete knowing what it is and how to control it. In the business world, I don't know that I'd say it's the most important, but it certainly is right up there. The ideal arousal state is essentially the level of energy you're bringing to your performance, to your job. And I always tell people to think of it like a 1 to 10 scale. Whereas one, you'd be trying to perform and you, you are half asleep. I mean, you, you're, you're two steps away from being asleep. A 10 is you've just had 50 cups of coffee. You're overly pumped and, and probably for most cases too energized. You want to kind of think where in that one to 10 scale do you perform at your best? So, for example, a sport like football, ideal arousal state for a football player, oftentimes is somewhere between the 7, 8, 9, 10 range. Mm. For baseball players, you have to be a little bit more relaxed in baseball. It's more, more often you'd hear five, six, sevens for, for baseball players. Hockey would be another one of those max effort sports where you're 7, 8, 9, 10. Uh, in the business world, you know, as a speaker, when I'm up doing a keynote speech, I certainly want to have a high level of energy, but I also want to be calm at the same time. I don't want to be rushing, but I certainly want the people to know I'm passionate. So for me as a keynote speaker, my ideal arousal state might be somewhere around a seven and a half. Yeah. 
the key is for each person to think of it on that scale and then identify what's the right level. What is that ideal for you arousal state that if you can get your energy to that level, it's going to make it much more likely you'll perform at or above your potential. Yeah, self-awareness is the key here. And I would argue that sometimes in, you know, in business world, we do need to be able to fine-tune it to give our very best. And I've seen that personally back in the days when I was, doing, when I was interviewing for jobs. That was the one area that was probably the, the most important to manage right then and there. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think people have a likelihood going into an interview and being anxious, nervous, and so on that ideal arousal state, they're probably closer to the 8, 9, or 10, where they probably are going to look more confident and more competent closer to the 5, 6, 7. Yeah. And how, how do we do that? How do we bring it down? Yeah. So one of the easiest techniques you can use if you're too high on the scale, if you want to bring it down, is something called a centering breath. And all you do is you breathe in for six seconds, hold for two seconds, mm -hmm. and breathe out for seven seconds. What that does is it gets air into your diaphragm and it starts to control your heart rate, which will then allow you to bring it down. The other technique, and, and this is, let's say you're too low. Let's say you're going in for an interview and, and you had a long night, and you, you've had a long week, maybe a long month. You're just exhausted, but you don't want to go in and show exhaustion. You want to show positive energy, not, not too much, but the right amount. So it, let's say you're maybe a three or four and you want to try to get up to a five or six. You can visualize you can take a few seconds, picture yourself in the interview mm. at the five or the six level that you want, mm. feeling the confidence. And what happens, it's much more likely you can go in there and you can create that ideal arousal state through visualization beforehand. Mm. So you can visualize it up. You can visualize it down. You can take centering breaths to get down. But I think you said it earlier, self-awareness is one of the most important concepts. Most people won't put it on that 1 to 10 scale. So oftentimes, they don't even know where they are, much less where they want to be in terms of the appropriate arousal for performance. Yeah, and you have a whole workout dedicated to this craft of getting to your peak performance zones when you need it the most. Um, and uh, one of the reasons, I think, one, one of the things we were starting off when we were talking in the book was you have a 10-minute program for athletes, but only a hundred second program for executives. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. So you're talking about the mental workout. Remember in 10 minute toughness, the mental workout is only three minutes and 40 seconds of the 10 minutes. But for executives and executive toughness, for the business people, for everyday life people, the mental workout there is only a minute and 40 seconds. So it's two minutes less. And it's a really, really important question. The reason being, remember, 10-minute toughness, the, the first mental workout I created, yep. three minutes and 40 seconds, it's designed, that book, that program was specifically written for professional athletes or people who wanted to become professional athletes. There is a very important component in athletics known as muscle memory. And what we know, visualization for three minutes is going to greatly enhance muscle memory. We're going to start to take it down to the muscular level when we're visualizing for that extended amount of time. In the business world, in, in normal day-to-day -day performance, we don't need necessarily the muscle memory. So we only need one minute of visualization to get us prepared. So really the difference is 
we don't need muscle memory in our everyday performances, whereas the professional athletes, they do. That's why the three-minute and 40-second mental workout in 10-minute toughness is two minutes longer. Got it. Got it. This is great. This is, this is so much fun. Um, I want to, before we, before we get to the action items, I want to ask about one more thing, which is the relentless solution focus. This is the first time I've actually come across this idea, but I see it's being so powerful because all we need to think about is what's the next step? What's the one thing I can do rather than think about all the problems that are in our face? Yeah, and what we know, and that there's um, more and more science on this coming out, Channel capacity is really the brain's capability, the bandwidth the brain has in terms of working memory, making improvements. And most people these days are so totally overwhelmed. We are overloading channel capacity, and that's why people are really not performing anywhere near their potential. We're trying to do way too much to do anything extremely well. Now, when we talk about making improvements. So normal channel capacity, the magic number is three. But that's really working memory. Think of it like a juggler. You, you can juggle three balls at a time, but if somebody throws you a fourth ball, unless you're somewhat of a professional, you're going to drop most of the balls you had. That's the channel capacity of your brain. If you try to overload channel capacity, we really start to screw up on most things. Now, when we talk about improvements, making improvements, making change, the magic number is one. Mm. And this is where so many people mess up. They try to make more than one improvement at a time or they get caught up in the perfectionist mentality that if I don't do it perfectly, if I don't correct this all the way, it's not worthy of my time. It's not worthy of my attention. And I think that's where that RSF or that relentless solution focus concept has really helped a lot of people it reminds them and here's the rsf question what's one thing i can do differently that could make this better mm. very strategically it's not asking for two things three things more than one thing just what's the one thing and it doesn't say what's the one thing you can do perfectly mm -hmm. it says what's the one thing you can change to just make it even a little bit better. And I tell people this all the time. One inch of improvement is worthy of being relentless solution focused. If you could just improve by an inch, and most people, Manny, are so caught up in perfection, which is not possible, nor is it necessary, they don't make any improvements whatsoever. But if we can retrain our minds that improvement is the key. Yeah. We just improve an inch a day. Can you imagine where you'd be in a year? That's right. Three years? five years, the end of your career, the end of your life, yeah. if you improved every day for the rest of your days by even just one inch, how much better of a human would you be? Yeah. And again, if you look at the human race right now, I think by, by and large, most of us aren't improving at all. And it's a lot of it because we've overwhelmed ourselves with channel capacity. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, most people are... Uh, are on the problem-centric end of the equation where they're constantly thinking about problems and they're thinking about the fact that they are a victim to the circumstances. While in case of relentless solution focus, we're moving towards a positive solution. We're moving towards figuring it out rather than let it dictate our lives. Yeah, and I think what most people, again, don't understand is for whatever reason, 
our brains are built to focus on the negative. Mm -hmm. I call it PCT, problem-centric thought. It's the number one obstacle to mental toughness because biologically our brains are built to focus on the negative. I'll give you a real quick example. The most valuable resource known to our species, oxygen. Mm -hmm. Without it, we die the fastest. But when is the last time, Manny, you or any of the listeners out there, when is the last time anyone thought to themselves as they're taking a breath, wow, this is great. (laughs) Life is so wonderful. I have an abundance of the most valuable resource known to my species. Mm. Our brains aren't built to do that. Compare that with when's the last time you thought to yourself, I don't have enough money. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough love. I don't have enough respect. You see, that's how the human brain's built. That's that PCT tendency. We totally overlook all the great stuff but focus on the negative. So it's important to realize that that's the biological tendency. And then we have ways that we can actually train our brains. Instead of overlooking the good, the solutions, we can actually retrain our brains called neuroplasticity with some of the right exercises that are outlined in executive toughness. You put some energy in answering certain questions and thinking a certain way each day, it becomes more and more likely that On a daily basis, you are thinking, wow, how great is life? I've got oxygen. I've got all these other great things in my life. And then when a problem does show itself, which it always does, you're trained to just come up with the solution. Instead of what normal people do when problems show up, they just get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. They get totally focused on the problem. And it circles and turns into even a bigger problem. And then you add some drama. And now we've got something even more major. All right, so now let's talk about, I mean, we've, we've, we've talked a lot about the book, but uh, as we always say here at 2000 Books, there's no learning without action. And it's been some ways the theme of this interview as well, that we have to train ourselves, we have to take action. So please give our listeners three specific homeworks, three specific action items or exercises, whatever you want to call it, so that we can go and apply the principles today. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm going to, let's start here. I'm going to give you two action items, the two things that when I'm coaching someone, when I'm working with someone, I know if they'll do these two things on a regular basis. And what I mean by that is three times a week, you you do it at least three times a week. I know they're going to start seeing real change in their results. Mm. Their life's going to get better. And each one Uh, one of them is the mental workout and the other one is something called filling out success logs. It's answering four specific questions. Doing the success logs takes no more than three minutes each day. Doing the mental workout takes a minute and 40. So if a person would invest three times a week, the minute and 40 for the mental workout, and then the three minutes for the success logs, I'd tell you it's science. You really can't stop this from happening. They're going to see a significant improvement in their life and their happiness, their health, and their success. Okay, now, I don't necessarily have time to go over what the mental workout is or what the success log questions are right now, but it's all of it is outlined, and I think very, very clearly, and I try to be as simple as possible when I'm teaching these concepts. I'm not trying to impress people with how much research I've done or or how much I know. I just want people to get value from this stuff. So I tell you, if you'd look at executive toughness mm-hmm. and just read through it slowly, you'll 
in the book have a very clear understanding of exactly why and exactly how to do both, the mental workout and the success log. So the three action items would be number one, pick up a copy of Executive Toughness. Go to your library. If you don't want to buy it, go to the library, but read through it. Number two, fill out success logs on a daily basis or at least three times a week and then do mental workouts again at least three times a week and you will like the results. Great, great. All right, uh, Jason, this has been a lot of fun. So please tell our listeners how to find you, how to get hold of you, where to find all your good stuff. Probably the easiest thing is just to go to my website, which is jasonselk.com. And there's, uh, we try to put a lot of free stuff on there. Uh, I think reaching out to me, social media, I, I try maybe three, four times a week to just give one real quick tip, whether it be on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, so if people want to reach out to me there, you can get... Uh, a quick tip, maybe three or four times a week. All the books are bestsellers. You know, you can find those in any bookstore on your online retailer. But probably the, the most central location would be the website, jasonselk.com. Got it. Well, thank you very much, Jason, for your time and for the wealth of knowledge you provided today. Well, I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate everybody out there listening. Just the mere fact that people are listening shows that they have an obsession for improvement. They're trying to improve. And that right there puts most people in a really good spot. So be proud. If you're out there trying to improve, that's the first step. Keep doing it. You're going to see the results. I fully agree. Well, thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me, Manny. So, my ambitious friends, I have a very important question for you. What is the single biggest indicator and predictor of success? Because in my reading of over 1,000 books, I have found out that there is one common thread, one common indicator that ties all of the greatest success stories in this world. And this is a factor that has been emphasized again and again and again in the greatest books ever written on the topic of accomplishing our goals. The greatest thinkers and achievers have all said the same thing. From Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher 2,000 years ago, to the greatest UFC fighters of today. And from champion athletes like Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan to big-time entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. So, Here at 2000 Books, we have created a 90-day course specifically on this topic where we summarize 40 of the greatest books ever written on this topic. So reading these books, reading these 40 books can take you almost 250 plus hours. And if you read one hour every day, Monday through Friday, every week, this reading can take you an year. But what we have done is we have summarized the knowledge from these books into daily 5 to 10 minute bite-sized videos so that you can absorb a new idea or a couple of new ideas every single day and take action on them, take action on them and build them over time over a period of 90 days. So come check out this course at 2000books.com slash tough, that's T-O-U-G-H, tough, or text the word Tough, T-O-U-G-H, to 44222 and get more information on this course. The course is now live and you can join at any time. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside of the course.